This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 285 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Available for download or streaming on Monday, September 5th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And as always, in the recording studio is our audio engineer, Quinters. <laughs> Why, thank you, Elijah, for that fantastic introduction. All right, Kenna, I am going to pretend like I'm unbelievably exhausted after an amazing weekend at Star Trek Mission New York. So why don't you tell us what we have this week? Well, this week in Trek It Out, we are joined by guest host Jarrah Hodge from Women at Warp to discuss the latest rumor about the lead character in Star Trek Discovery. In Star Trek Online News, Elijah has been to Reed Pop's Star Trek Mission New York and brings us the biggest stories from the STO panel. Later, Jace is taking us back to Las Vegas with a very special Treklet 101 with an interview with Sarah Gados, group editor at IDW Publishing. Of course, don't forget to keep the conversation going at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And finally, thanks again to all our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. Speaking of Patreon perks, this week on Priority One After Hours. So, I, look, overall, I, I really, I think this was, this should have been the sequel. Yeah, not I, Into I Darkness. I really wish that this would have been the sequel. Yeah. We could just forget about Into Darkness. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't care to see it destroyed. You didn't care? Yeah. No. Really? Yeah. I was gutted. Oh yeah, that whole that whole sequence. You know why? Because I was just Enterprise always gets destroyed in some way, shape, or form. I think the reason why it probably didn't bother me as much is because I seen that and I was like, oh, is this the end of the Kelvin timeline? Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) This unscripted, uncensored, and unedited recording is available exclusively to our Patreon subscribers. Now let's check out the latest news about Star Trek Discovery. I don't know. Then let's break it out. In this week's Trek It Out, we're examining the latest rumor about Star Trek Discovery, and that is the identity of the character played by our female lead. But we didn't want to tackle this story alone, so we are joined today by guest host Jara Hodge from the podcast Women at Warp. Jara, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
So um, before we get into our discussion, for listeners who maybe don't know who you are or haven't listened to your podcast, I just wanted to uh, see if you'd give us a little bit of an introduction to what you guys do over there. Sure. Uh, So I've been a Star Trek fan since I was a little kid, but kind of re-grasped onto it a few years ago. And got asked on a Star Trek podcast that used to exist called All Things Trek and through that met my now co-hosts Andy, Sue, and Grace and we decided to start our own podcast called Women at Warp that would be about highlighting women's roles on Star Trek and behind the scenes and also just discussing Star Trek generally from women's perspectives. So that's, that's what we do. Yeah, great. Um, it's been kind of a big year for you guys, actually, because you and I met briefly at Star Trek Las Vegas, um, and I know that Andy was on the Podcast Summit panel with Elijah on the Roddenberry stage, and also you were actually on stage with Kate Mulgrew on the main stage, weren't you? Yeah, it was really exciting. I actually have been involved in the women's panel at Star Trek Las Vegas for the last, this was my fourth year, and this was the first year that we were on the main stage, and then to be with Kate Mulgrew and also B. Joe Trimble, uh, one of the original fans who saved the original series, was so, so cool, and uh, to you know, it, I think it's really was exciting that there was such a great turnout because it showed that there's a demand for more programming about women and I think more diversity programming um, at these conventions. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, because I was in the audience for that and I was really impressed. You know, I, I kind of was expecting it to be a little bit of maybe a niche uh, panel. But when I kind of turned around and looked, you know, the whole place was was full of people and it was it was great to see that. So. Yeah, it was really good. Congratulations. Will you be at uh, Mission New York? I will not. I will actually be at Fan Expo Canada that weekend, just kind of hanging out and reporting on things. Um, It was because, unfortunately, Mission New York was scheduled a little bit late in the game. Uh, Most of our crew already had prior convention commitments, so we'll be at Dragon Con that weekend. So uh, we're going to be not there firsthand, but we do have some of our previous guests lined up to act as correspondents for us and to report on the happenings there. So excited to hear their coverage. Awesome. So our big story this week is the rumor that currently seems to be everywhere, and that is that the female lead in Star Trek Discovery, the new series coming out in January, who we already know is a lieutenant commander with quote-unquote caveats, could in fact be number one. Number one who was only in one episode of Star Trek, well, technically two, and she was particularly spotlighted in the pilot episode, The Cage. She was Captain Pike's first officer, played by Major Barrett, and the character got lost when the bridge crew was reshuffled for the man trap. To go a little bit deeper into that, according to These Are the Voyages by uh, Mark Cushman, what had happened was that the suits essentially gave Roddenberry a choice. Either have the Martian, Spock, or have a female first officer. And... Jean had to make the tough decision to break Majel's heart, because it did, uh, and give that spotlight to Spock. And history was made. Now, we first saw this story pop up on Movie Pilot last week. And at that point, it was really just a rumor. But then, Ain't It Cool News on the 28th of August broke the news that Brian Fuller had confirmed on their radio show, Nerd World Report, 
with Hop and Herc, quote, when we introduce the protagonist, she is called number one in honor of Major Barrett's character in the original pilot, end quote. Now, before we get too far, we should note that there's no confirmation that she will be the number one. After all, Commander Riker also went by that particular moniker. But if it is that number one, then that potentially gives us some insight into that character. And I should also mention that the timeline fits here. So the cage was set 13 years before the original series, which makes it just three years before Discovery is set. Now, a quick quote from Majel Barrett, who was interviewed for the Star Trek Communicator magazine back in 2000. Number one was born and bred for her job. I had developed my own backstory for her that on her planet, she was raised in a litter, so she was raised for her job, but she had heart, end quote. In Mark Cushman's book, These Are the Voyages, uh, Gene Roddenberry was quoted to say, I knew I couldn't keep both, so I gave the stoicism of the female officer to Spock and married the actress who played number one. Thank God it wasn't the other way around, end quote. <laughs> That's cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and Majel also said in an interview that, you know, he kept the Vulcan and married the woman. So they both had that narrative going on. Although it's worth noting that in These Are the Voyages and also in Inside Star Trek The Real Story, which is by Bob Justman and Herb Solo, they say that that story is not true. I think that there's probably a combination. What what they say is that it was because her character tested poorly in focus groups and particularly among women fans, which is interesting. I don't necessarily think it means that that character couldn't have done really cool things going forward, but it's just worth noting that it's maybe not as 100% clear cut as Gene Roddenberry and, and Majel portrayed. Do you think that that character might have been just a bit before her time. It's hard to say. So in in their book, Herb Solo and, and Robert Justman argue that NBC and other shows had actually a decent number of what we call strong women characters at the time, at least, you know, women as spies and cops and things like that. But so it's hard for me to say because I wasn't around then. But I, I feel like she was ahead of her time in terms of Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, we didn't see that much of her, but it, uh, Elijah, you said something about stoicism, which is not, not really a normal portrayal of, of women. So I wonder if that had something to do with that sort of possibly a little negative reaction. Yeah, I mean, I would really kill to see the focus group report from the studios back oh, yeah. when they tested the Oh my pilot. god, I think that we all be, would. That would be amazing. But it's it's entirely possible, and, and certainly we didn't see a lot of stoic women on uh, on the original series, with the possible exception of a couple of Vulcan women. Uh, they were more often, you know, driven by their heart. Yeah, yeah, and lust for Captain Kirk. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A number of occasions. Although even in the cage, we get that uh, number one is suppressing her feelings for Captain Pike. Okay, so the number one thing is a little bit of a of a of a leap. So if if you uh, if you read the transcripts of the actual uh, interview that Brian Fuller did with uh, the radio show, then it, it doesn't quite it doesn't exactly say that it will be that character. But I wanted to talk just generally about the, the role of that fe- that female character, that female lead in the new in the new series, and especially, well, the first question I had was, 
so being a lieutenant commander as a not a captain or a commander like Commander Cisco, how do we think that not being a captain could change the type of story they tell for that female character? In particular, I want to know, do we think we'll be able to break out of the strong female lead trope? Well, I think that her starting out as a lieutenant commander means there's a bit less pressure to be perfect. And I think that it raises some interesting things because we get to see, uh, as we've heard from Brian Fuller, her struggling with challenges and having to learn lessons. And I think that that is something that would be cool to see is how that leader or soon to be leader to leader to be <laughs> grapples with the challenges that are presented to her. I'm thinking sort of like uh, Savik a bit in The Wrath of Khan, where you're seeing her confronted with these challenges of interacting with her human crewmates, but also the challenges of figuring out what it means to be in command. And I think that, that Savik was a really cool character. So to be able to to show a character facing challenges doesn't necessarily take away from their strength. I mean, I I always thought it would be a really interesting discussion point to talk about unlikable female characters um, in Star Trek, because I think it's really important that we're able to see uh, characters that aren't the stereotypical, quote-unquote, inspirational women in leadership positions that are always great. Because, I mean, take Captain Janeway, for example, who I absolutely, totally admire, but she was very, I mean, she was a strong female lead, but she did all the, the the textbook things you're supposed to do. So she was a strong leader and she was hard-nosed when she needed to be, but then she was also had a soft side. But for the most part, you're meant to like her. And I kind of hope that they're able to explore women that we don't like, because that to me tells a really interesting story and engages the audience in a little bit of a different way. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect we're going to see an unlikable protagonist in this series, but maybe someone who starts out like Roe with, uh, you know, a bit of a chip on her shoulder or difficulties interacting with the crew. But there needs to be something to introduce her in a way that says we can empathize with her. Even if we don't necessarily want to go have a beer with her right away, there needs to be some way that we can connect with her as an audience member. I'm trying to think of other female characters from other sci-fi franchises, and I'm thinking of two from Battlestar Galactica, right? You have Kara Thrace, right, who was very hard-nosed, right? And then you have President Rosalind, right? And both of them took care of situations in their own different ways. So I'm wondering if we may end up seeing a more Laura Roslin type character. I would I would say Laura Roslin played more as a Janeway, right? If I were to compare apples to apples, it'd be Janeway. There, I don't, I can't think of anybody. Oh, you know who? As a comparison to Kara Thrace is um, the Bajoran on TNG. Oh, what's her name? Roe. Roe, Ensign Roe. Ensign Roe. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see wh- do you think that we will end up seeing something along the lines of a Carathrace or Ensign Roe or something more like a Roslyn? I think we might be seeing something totally different. And if, if they're going with, we like you, you said, we don't know that it's this number one, that it's Majel's number one. We know that it's an homage to her. But if it is, then 
we're looking at something that's about more uh, stoicism and high intellect versus uh, anger issues or past dealing with past trauma necessarily. And uh, you read the quote earlier from the Star Trek communicator where she said, uh, Majel said that she imagined number one being bred in a litter. There was another interview I read in the official Star Trek fan club of Canada magazine from 1993, where she says, uh, I made up her backstory. I saw her as a genetically bred human from another planet. And Majel says she imagined her as cloned, but decided that she had grown up in a normal human family, but was totally by the book, never smiled, and had most of Mr. Spock's characteristics. So in that case, in some ways, maybe more analogous to a T'Pol character, but I, I feel like they there's more potential to develop within this character than possibly we saw with T'Pol. My next question really is is about the pressure on that lead female character who obviously is not going to be the leader of that cast potentially but I know that Kate Mulgrew in particular has talked about the pressure that she felt being the first female captain and kind of her character needing to be everything to everyone do we think that kind of societal pressure on the Star Trek franchise is still there that this is going to need that people are going to be watching this lead character to see how she performs. I think there will still be judgment because there are still double standards faced and we see their reaction to movies with female leads and there's there's still a bit of a backlash and uh, I still see comments about Janeway that exemplify double standards like an over concern with her hair and her voice. Right. And as early and this is this is as recent as The Force Awakens. Yes, absolutely. And you know saying oh too feminine or not feminine enough, too maternal and therefore weak. So there's lots of of still double standards floating in our society, but I do think media has largely changed for the better and we've had so many shows in sci-fi and other genres with much more complicated women in leading roles that I, I think that there is uh, much more space to develop that. I also think there's more space in Star Trek because, you know, we know that Gene Roddenberry has had a very utopian vision of the future where largely human humans would have overcome a lot of their difficulties and there was a period where that created conflict because you you still needed to have interpersonal drama and so people still needed to have issues and i think that we're at a place where people in the franchise realize that our characters can't be too perfect because then it's just we're just not going to get as interesting stories yeah the, what do you write about if there isn't any conflict yeah yeah so we're obviously in a really different climate uh, when we talk about feminism today. We're, it's very different than it was even, even 10 years ago when we're talking about you know Enterprise or 20 years ago. What do you think, this is for you personally, Jara, that Star Trek needs to do with this character in order to kind of, I don't know, legitimize her? Uh, looking at it from a, from a feminist perspective. Like, or the flip side of that is what do they need to avoid doing in order to not draw the ire of people who are watching it very closely yeah for me uh for example i would probably have an issue if they made one of her key challenges that she's secretly in love with the captain like in the cage oh god um, yeah so don't do that 
Brian Fuller. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't foresee that really happening. But I think that the uh, as as much as I do ship Spock and Uhura, I think that their dynamic in the movies uh, with him as her instructor at first is it's a little bit problematic because he's also her commanding officer later. And the fact that their relationship throughout that to me is it's a bit difficult and I, even though I think Uhura is a strong character in those movies, but I, I think that we need to see a character with a degree of independence off the bat so that we can understand her outside the context of a relationship to a man on the ship. Or maybe she doesn't have to be straight. But I, yeah, not, I, I don't, as long as there are LGBT characters on this show, I don't particularly care which ones are, as long as they're good characters. But um, it would be cool to explore the options. Well, uh, do you have any other comments? Because those are all the questions that I really wanted to touch on today. Well, I guess, I you know, so we have been talking about this at, largely as if this is the number one from the cage. And I would love to see that. I I think I would be okay with it being uh, a woman who's not the number one from the cage. The other thing that was raised was there were rumors early on that the character would be a woman of color. And then when this rumor came out, I saw some people say, well, that can't possibly now, like if it is, then it's going to be a white woman because Majel was a white woman. But I actually don't think that it precludes casting a woman of color for a couple of reasons. First of all, in the writer's Bible, it said that she's she has an exotic look, that she's dark in a Nile Valley sort of way. And so that's one reason is that that she was like made to seem looking darker than she actually was. And then also in the original series, we saw a character like Khan, who was a white person in brown face, and we saw um, native people as white people in brown face. So they cast uh, white people as people of color throughout the original series. And it doesn't mean that you would do the same thing today. So I think that I would still um, accept that it wouldn't be breaking if they cast a woman of color as number one, even being the same character. Yeah, so even if it was the number one, that doesn't take uh, a woman of color off the table for you. No. The, the hard thing for that, and I'll play devil's advocate here a second, is that is that not everybody has read you know, the books that we have, right? No, not everybody is aware of, of that writer's Bible. So they, they see uh, the pilot, like the cage, and they'll start to, they make that, that they have that preconceived notion that if this is in fact the number one, they have a hard time separating it. So, yeah, for sure. But I think people would also theoretically have a hard time separating Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan well, yeah, from yeah, other yeah, no Khan. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> like if Star Trek can whitewash something, then maybe they could do the reverse and make it right in a different instance. Well, and to be fair in pop culture, you know, it's not that uncommon for the race of of a major character to be retconned i know there's a the i, would, I don't want to say controversy because it should not even be a controversy but casting of i can't remember her name she's a woman of color as that too uh, no mary jane in a new spider-man oh yes film or that's series. new yep um, um it's i, I believe sorry, it's I just in as uh, they've cast zendaya as uh mary jane in i think a new movie so it's 
Um, it might be unusual, maybe, but it's not. I mean, it's after all, this is it's only entertainment. I mean, this is you know, there's there's no rules against right. That. But and and I agree, it would be a pleasant departure or or reversal to see that they they would actually be sticking to what is written and what was originally intended to be, you know, a, 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 a quote unquote exotic character, so to speak. You know, I, you know, as as a Latino, I have a hard time with someone like Oscar Isaac being all done up and made up and having their voice modulated, so you have no idea that it's a Latino actor. You know, again, it's, it's yes, it would be, it, if they're sticking to what was written, what Gene Roddenberry's intent was to be, then then you just have to get over it. It's, it's technically canon. Uh, well, thank you very much, Jarrah, for joining us. Uh, it was really enjoyable, and I'm glad that we finally managed to get you on our show. Uh, if you'd like, uh, please could you do a little plug for Women at Warp, and where can, we, where can we find you, and where can we find your podcast? Sure. Well, you can find me on Tumblr at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com, but you can also find our podcast, Women at Warp. We're at womenatwarp.com, and we're on Twitter and Facebook at Women at Warp. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's find out what's been happening in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome to Star Trek Online News, where normally Mark and I bring you the latest news of the week from Star Trek Online. However, all of the big news this week came from Reed Pop's Star Trek Mission New York at the Javits Center in New York City. So instead of Mark, Elijah is joining me to give us a rundown of the big stories. Elijah, thank you for joining me. That's right, cadets. I am here uh, on the Jersey side of the Hudson River. Uh, relaxing a little bit after a very long and exhaustive weekend, but a very informative one. Boy, is there news. News that people didn't even believe when I tweeted about it uh, nope. regarding Star Trek <laughs> Online yeah. and console release. Uh, yeah, I have to say it was, it was really exciting. The Star Trek Online presence was strong this at this particular convention, mm-hmm. uh, and they were, of course, demoing console um, the console UI and the console controllers, uh, PlayStation 4 controllers at their booth. And when you played, when you completed the demo, you got a free T-shirt. Nice. That was cool. That yeah. was very cool. Yeah. And you did oh, that, didn't you? I did. As a matter of fact, I did. I did it the first day. So you can actually visit us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast for the live stream video recording of me fumbling through <laughs> the console controls. I now, did, first of all, I did I watch that. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. even. Uh, I, first of all, I'm an Xbox player, you know. I, I and although the controllers are starting to kind of overlap or you know be quite similar, uh, it's still not the same. I like I like the feel of a of an Xbox controller more than I like the PlayStation. So uh, yeah, I was fumbling. I I I must have looked like an old geezer trying to pick up you know elijah i don't know i, I remember it's you looked like a chimp fighting a couple of chimps fighting over a grape that's what you looked like because i watched it <laughs> and it was terrible <laughs> it was absolutely terrible i was rolling my uh, eyes i was embarrassed for you for me for the show oh my goodness you are unbelievable <laughs> come on guys it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad but um but no, I mean, once I once I got the hang of it, once I 
kind of I, first of all, I was under pressure too because Steve Rocosa was over my shoulder making fun of me. Uh, right. Steven Rocosa, the executive producer of Star Trek Online, so he was um, you know kind of egging me on about how horrible I was, uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean all in in good fun, of course, all in good fun. Um, but again, it's it, you know there there is um, you also have to remember is that I'm coming from playing the game after six years of keyboard right keyboard right. and mouse yeah so there are, it, it there, there is going to be a bit of a learning curve right especially for players who are used to having the WASD key and and your mouse right so mm-hmm. so be prepared for that be ready for that and there's uh, no the space other, bar and there's no space bar right yeah. there's no space bar so I will say that the the lighting is beautiful. All those changes that we'll cover in more detail next week, of course. Uh, yep, yep. You know, the lighting is beautiful. The changes that were made to that environment style make the game feel so much more vibrant and so much more alive. So yes, the Star Trek Online um, presence there was strong. Uh, they had a, a great professional booth with the game with consoles set up where you played it. It was it was really exciting, and a lot of players who. Actually, a lot of attendees who didn't know about the game or were also highly anticipating the console release were there. And, uh, and you could see their, you know, their faces light up as they were playing the demo, uh, which was really fun. Again, nice. really, really fun. So, um, so Friday at 1.30 p.m., Star Trek Online held a panel. Uh, Steven Rocosa had uh, started the panel introducing the game kind of going over the last several months agents of yesterday talking again about the lighting changes things we've things we've covered things that uh, have already been known then it was dropped that star trek online was coming to console on september 6th the day after this show releases why don't we go ahead and give a listen to that part of the panel uh so i would like to announce for the very first time people have been asking me for quite a while when is this coming out? And I like to say soon. This is coming out on Tuesday, September 6th, next week. Wow. So, if you want to try it out, get a taste of the, uh, of the demo, and you can download this game for free on Tuesday. It was awesome to hear the audible gasp in the room uh, and excitement when he announced that September mm-hmm. 6th was the launch date of console. So um, a lot of people, you know, when we tweeted it, a lot of people were kind of curious where we were getting that information from because it looks like the blogs didn't announce the date specifically. Um, so we no, got, no. you know, there was there seemed to have been a bit of confusion, but um, but we were live and we were at the panel and I was tweeting frantically as he was making these announcements. Yeah, so that's kind of exciting. <laughs> I'm really really excited. Uh, so my my Tuesday evening is now clear. I intend to be on my butt, downloading it. No word on how big that game is going to be. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Um, and hopefully when we get to next week's show, I will have played through quite a bit of it um, and be able to give us a little bit of a rundown on the console version. Now, um, one other thing that you mentioned, the lighting there briefly. We did find out this week that the lighting system is up on Tribble, which we will talk more in depth next week. Uh, but I just wanted to mention that in case anyone was interested in going and checking it out because uh, I've seen some screenshots in our Hangouts and there's some um, pretty impressive stuff over there. Uh, actually, Rokosa in his presentation um, had uh, several before and after shots 
things that I hadn't seen mm-hmm. before, like cave lighting yep. and how the light kind of just stopped at the entrance of the cave. You know, there was a clear line. <laughs> yeah. And then the difference between with the new lighting effect and how, I mean, it just, it made the game so, it, it just, it's like a new game. It really is. Just visually is like a new game. Just this, just this lighting design tweak, this lighting interface tweak. He also showed some before and afters with uh, just general 3D models um, of some spheres mm-hmm. and how light bounces off and how naturally, let's say light bounces off a, a red ball. He had a red ball, a red sphere. You get yeah. that color on the wall, right? You get a bit of that, about, of that red into the wall. The color bounces right. off. Yeah. And that is being introduced into the game. That kind of that kind of dynamic lighting. It, it's just it's amazing. Now you you said that you actually got to play the game on the console yes. version of the game. Um, what what bits of it did you do? Did you just do a bit of space combat, bit of ground? No. So what uh, so what we did was the first mission. Uh, but you're a, uh, you're a higher mm-hmm. level. It was like level 31 or so. So you had options for powers and being able to cycle through the wheel. Uh, yeah, I didn't get that right. far. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was lucky I was able to run and shoot. Um, oh, so right, this okay. was the, the first scene where – I'm sorry, the first mission where you go down to the planet. Uh, the Borg are – uh, assimilating the planet, but the Undines show up, and you have to fight the Undine and the Borg, and, and then Cooper's there. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to find out which bits you got to play, but also, did you watch anyone else playing it, and what, what were people's reactions? I know that you said that people who hadn't maybe been aware of Star Trek Online were quite interested. Um, did you have anybody there who has played Star Trek Online um, going through. They've played it on the PC and trying it on the console. Did you have any reactions yeah, actually, from them? Yeah, uh, actually, it turns out that Epsilonian uh, showed up on Friday. I, I, I wasn't aware that he was going to be there. Uh, Epsilonian was a, is an old friend of the show. He uh, he had done a few command schools a few years ago with us. He helped us with no-win scenario. And uh, he was there, and, and he's, he seemed to speak highly of, of, of that experience. You know, he picked up on it very quickly. He was able to play. It, 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 again, you know, most people were just making fun of me, and... Uh, uh, but no, other players <laughs> seemed very receptive to it. They they thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was uh, quick for players who are already console gamers. And then a lot of it, you know, I, I listened more to conversations, and the conversation was very much, "Oh, it's coming to console. Oh, it's free, and I can download this right from the store. <laughs> this that's crazy, you know. Yeah. Like it's it's it, it, I'm definitely gonna try it now. Yeah, because you know pc master race versus console whatever there was there, you know there's a bit of a barrier to entry with with pc games um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now people will have that opportunity to pick it up yeah exactly um but you know the console launch wasn't the only thing that dropped from star trek online at the convention was it nope it was not oh my <laughs> goodness so all right so there's no it's no mystery that I haven't been playing the game as much as I used to, but that doesn't mean that I still am not a, a fan of the Star Trek Online ships. It was announced at the panel that players will now be able to 3D print their ships. Okay, now let me specify this. Let me, let me get a little more specific here. You're not going to just be able to print an Odyssey. No, no, no. You're going to get to print your Odyssey with your customizations and your reputation costumes should you what? S- if you so choose to add them you got a pink ship you'll print the pink ship so let me get this straight 
because uh, we we were sort of talking about this in the Hangouts, and uh, you were very excited when you found oh this goodness. out. So what you're saying is that you can print your actual ship, right. fine. So like I can print my fleet arbiter with my you know customized nacelles or right. whatever. Also with the colors that I've chosen, right. and also with my ship visuals. Right. Now I'm sure that some limitations apply. Let's say for instance. You're not going to be able to print an Iconian ship because there are pieces that hover, right? So right. that, that, yeah, that yeah. Like, things like that may not are, are are not going to be able to translate, right? And so there will be some limitations. Yeah, we to be to be clear, we haven't had all the full exact hundred percent details of what exactly is going to happen. Right, with these, right. Do we? we don't know the cost. Yeah. We don't know what the what the interface is going to be like. You know, people are asking, mm-hmm. can you buy this with Zen? Those details have not been announced yet. Uh, it, this is essentially just the, the 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 announcement that you will soon now be able to 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 three D print your ship. And now I'm not. Now this is not Eagle Moss. You know, little ship models, right? This is not Matchbox. This is like twelve inch models. There, wow. we, I took a tweet of uh, Maria holding up one of the ships so you can kind of get it to scale. And then Terry Lynn took a picture. I don't know if she tweeted it with, uh, with a banana ne- next to it, <laughs> which was funny. <laughs> yeah, for scale. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the, this, these, these ships are no joke. This is, you know, Diamond Select size ship models, right? And yeah. 3D printed with your registry number, your ship name your colors and your customizations however you see deem, deem fit it's kind of impressive yeah, and you, you get your cool. own you get the acrylic stand a nice little acrylic stand that, that allows you to angle and position your ship however you choose and mm-hmm. you know again and, and you know the, the, some of the, the most impressive things about the 3d print was things like negative space right there's negative space on the underbelly of the uh, of the saucer for the odyssey Right, yeah. You have the obviously yeah. is attached by the, the two neck pylon-y things, um, and you have that negative space. Yeah, that that's that negative space is there in the three D print, right? If uh. the, the uh, Concord has the negative space on the nacelles, that negative space is there, right? Yeah. And so these these ships are amazingly detailed three D prints. Wow. It is so exciting. I, I know some ship collectors that are going to be pretty excited right, right oh my gosh i cannot wait i cannot wait what did they feel like because they had um they had some models there yeah, you couldn't you hold, hold them because oh, what i'm curious to find out is sort of what they feel like are these going to be quite delicate like they need to be on a high shelf if you have small children or, or are they going to be something that you can have just on your desktop that's what i would like to know yeah no they, they you weren't allowed to hold them you know my guess is the way 3d print technology is right now some of the plastics are pretty hard uh, but let's say mm-hmm. you do like a Borg deflector, you have those very thin protrusions on the deflector, right? Those could probably break off easily, maybe, you know, depending on the type yeah. of plastic. So uh, I would I would treat these as you would the Diamond Select ship models, you know, those the, the bigger ship models that you, you want to have on display. Here, why don't we take a moment to play the audio clip when Stephen Rocosa announces it, because you also hear the audible gasp in the audience when he announces it. Another big announcement coming up. A lot of people play Star Trek for a lot of time. They invest a lot into their characters. They invest a lot in their ships. There's a lot to unlock. There's a lot of customization options. They just spend a lot of time in-game. And how could you show off those in-game accomplishments in real life? Well, Perk World, Cryptic Studios, 
and CBS would like to announce a partnership with Euclid 3D Printing. You can now 3D print your own custom ships for the Star Trek. Yeah, these ships are amazing. I cannot wait. You know, I went to the convention. So I went to Vegas, right? We were all together at Vegas. And I purposely mm-hmm. yeah. didn't buy anything because I thought to myself, oh, man, I'm going you know, to buy something at uh, New York. And I'll be closer to home. I can put it in my car. I don't have to worry about flying with it uh, or having to ship it back to myself, which I had to do last year with my Diamond Select uh, Sovereign. And I once they announced these 3D ships, I was like, nope, I think I'm going to save my money. Yeah. So you can buy your my ship printed. My ship. I think I'm, I'm yeah. debating if I'm going to do the Chimera. I'm debating if I'm going to do the uh, a Prometheus variant. Uh, mm-hmm. The Vesta. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Uh, it's just I, I'm so excited. I'm going to do my Fleet Arbiter. If I, if, I get it, if I get the opportunity to, it'll be my Fleet Arbiter. I've already written her a, a love song. It seems only fitting that I would get a, an actual model we gotta of her. Print, we got to print out the Prioritas <laughs> and we can have it. Oh we yeah, can all to each other and have it for six months each or something, you know, shared. shared yeah, prioritas. <laughs> I would hope that these start coming out by Christmas time. These would be nice Christmas gifts to give to your uh, special someone who loves Star Trek. Mm, or exactly, this would be a nice permissive gift that somebody who loves Star Trek can purchase for themselves, uh, and thus the the special someone will allow it to happen. Well, thank you, Elijah, for joining us and giving us a little bit of a rundown of what the big stories were that happened this weekend. Um, it sounds like it was a great time. It was. It was absolutely fantastic. It was It was great to see uh, Stephen Rocosa, Al Rivera, Maria Rosso. Uh, they were great and working in that booth very hard uh, to make sure that the game was represented in the shining light that it deserves. Uh, you know, the game is six years old, but with something like, you know, it hitting console with something like the new lighting textures, the new lighting dynamics, mm. uh, it's it, the game shows no sign of stopping. You know, I don't think I don't think there's any strong support to the idea that Star Trek Online is in any type of maintenance mode in any way, shape, or form because because the game just simply shows no sign of stopping. Um, and again, I want you know I want to thank uh, Deanna who uh, works over at Perfect World Entertainment, who was my uh, contact liaison there for uh, press. Um, for setting up the interview with uh, Denise Crosby and, of course, allowing me to demo the game and, uh, and live stream it. And uh, to Stephen Ricosa for, for, quote, tutoring me, end quote, on the console experience. Well, Eliza, you mentioned that you had the opportunity to interview Denise Crosby. Yes, I did. Uh, she is such a pleasant human being uh, with, with, with such love and passion for the fans, such respect for the fans. You know, she's just so grateful to them. And I, and I had the opportunity of, of chatting with her, uh, not just about Star Trek Online, but about uh, her relationship with the fans, things that she has planned in the future, things that she's involved with now. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and just jump right into that interview? Well, Captains, I have the pleasure of sitting with Denise Crosby, the wonderfully talented and beautiful Denise Crosby. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. So what do you think about New York and Reed Pop's production here uh, for the first time in several years and several decades? I am truly impressed. They have done a tremendous job. It is beautiful. The layout, 
all of the um, this is unique for me because I'm on the I'm on the main um, vendors floor right, right. for the you know usually I'm tucked away in an autograph hall mm -hmm. but uh, so now I get to really you know experience and see all the all the uh, uh, you know I exhibits and 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 um, properties and it's I just think they've done a tremendous job right, right. yeah it's beautiful it's yeah beautiful. now is this you've traveled to the city before of course right yes, yes I yes, love yes. New York okay wonderful, and wonderful. have done a play here oh, and you know perfect. and a lot of different things you what, know what did you do if you don't mind my asking I did um, a John Osborne play called the epitaph of George Dillon that Larry Moss directed and Larry oh. Moss is a tremendously talented acting teacher mm -hmm. um, here in the city but also comes to LA uh, and he's a coach and a director and um, so a number of the actors came from LA that he had worked with to do this production. This was about maybe five years ago I, here I in New York. So. I, I remember, I remember hearing about it, and you've triggered a bit of a passion in me because I have, I'm a performing artist myself. Are you hoping to go back on stage soon? Oh, I love yeah. doing theater. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hard because I have a um, uh, a teenage son. It's his last year in high school. He's a senior, so you know. Uh, that's been my priority, right, and, course, I, and I don't want to spend too much time away from him. But I'm sure when he goes off to college, you know, my time opens mm. up more, and, and yeah, definitely Oh, theater. I hope so. I hope I can catch you on stage. I hope so, too. <laughs> that's so sweet. So I want to ask you a little bit about Star Trek Online. Mm. Uh, so last we heard, without spoiling too much, C-Left kind of experienced a bit of a catharsis, kind of ex seeing the impact that she had in the overall story arc of what Star Trek Online has taken with the Iconians. Mm -hmm. When you, as you've been working with Cryptic Studios and Perfect World in developing the character, what were your thoughts about that? That, that, that reflection of, oh goodness, look at what I've done. Wow, well, you know, when, when I first um, was approached by, by Cryptic and by Al, what was so unique was that they were interested in what I wanted to do mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. with the character of Sila. And, you know, it was such a chance for me to um, kind of f flush her out and fulfill um, so much that I wasn't able to do on the on the TV series. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it was sort of the ball was dropped with Sila. Right, so um, I just think that they write such beautiful stories, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, way beyond anything I could have imagined so right, I was right, just right. so delighted with what the concept was and where they were headed and where they are heading and right. and right. Um, I'm I'm thrilled I, I just am you know along I've added a couple of things or I suggested a couple of things or I've said yeah that that mm -hmm. go there go mm -hmm. that direction mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. for the most part they just have an elaborate you know outline uh, yes yeah absolutely and I, rem I remember on the panel you mentioned how much of a departure this has been Star Trek online to other voice talent that you've lent for other Star Trek games and how this has been really, you know, a meaty performance for you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's much mm -hmm. more akin to actually doing a, 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 right. a performance piece. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So I want to ask you a little bit about the fans. So, you know, we mentioned that earlier that this is the first time that this has been a, a dedicated Star Trek convention here, and of course, you had your documentary several years ago. How has the relationship with fans developed over, the, you know, the last several years, and what changes are you seeing now with the 50th, and then of course with uh, with something like Star Trek Beyond and the new films? What what are you seeing? Well, certainly, um, I think for for me, I can speak for, and I, I would say for most of you know my next gen 
podcast, you know, it's next year is our 30th mm -hmm, anniversary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think a lot has changed in the 30 years where the interaction with fans, certainly for me, making Trekkies, mm -hmm. blurred the boundaries, right, you know. Right. I, I, there no longer was we're over here and you're over there and never shall the two meet. Right. You know, I, I, by making Trekkies, I was going into people's homes, right. their businesses, driving with them, sharing time with them, sharing personal time with them. And um, you realize that, that that's, that's okay, you can yeah, do that. Right, right, so right. It's, 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 a, it's a unique symbiotic relationship right, with right. the fans and the actors. It's no longer that real separation. You know, right. people used to ask me, other actors would say, well, how can you walk through the crowds and everything? It's so easy. Right, right, and right, it, right. And it, I think it's what you put out mm -hmm. there, you know? Right, of course, of course, of course. When is there uh, going to be a new documentary coming out soon? Do you think it's time with... Fingers uh, crossed. Yeah, I yeah. have an idea for a Trekkies 3, okay. and my partner, Roger Nygaard, the director of the uh, Trekkies documentaries, we we have been talking uh, with um, CBS and Viacom, and we just have to time it. You know, we're probably about a good two years away from, okay. from really doing it. Okay. But, of course, that is perfect because there will be a new series right, then. Right, right, There'll be another right. film. Right, right. And Even more yes, passion. And there's more There's more to look at. Mm -hmm. There's places we haven't mm -hmm. been to mm -hmm. before. So, Wonderful. Well, thank you. Before we wrap up, where can our listeners find you? What are you doing now? Please share, share oh, all your work. Great. So I've been recently recurring on um, the Showtime series Ray Donovan. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, finished its fourth season. And... Um, you know, the, the fifth season, they, they have another order for fifth season. So Congrats. hopefully be back on that. Yeah. And um, I hopefully will do an, some more of The Magicians, which oh, is on the yes, Sci-Fi Channel. Yes. And I look for two... I did an indie film called um, Raven's Watch that's okay. coming out. Okay. Um, and what else can I tell you? Um, that's that's pretty much it right now. Well, wonderful. And well, congratulations well, on all of those. Thank you so much. And well, they can find me. I'm on Twitter at okay. the Denise Crosby. Okay. Great, so you can great. always you know follow me on Twitter. Wonderful. Well, Denise, thank you so very much. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. You're so lovely. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Thank you, honey. Take care. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online news. Now let's check in with Jace for another Treklit 101. Hello, Captains, and welcome back to our live Priority One podcast coverage of Star Trek Las Vegas for the 50th anniversary, 50-year anniversary. Um, I have with me here Sarah Gatos, group editor for IDW Publishing. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, a little bit for our listeners about uh, what your role is with the uh, Star Trek comic line. Sure. So IDW Publishing has had um, the Star Trek license for about 10 years. I've been running the line for about three. And being a comic book editor is a lot like being um, a movie producer, director, and casting agent all in one. Um, so I work with our licensors to... Um, put together some really exciting Star Trek stories, basically from all iterations of Trek, and put them out into the world for people to enjoy. That's fantastic. Now, one thing that, uh, that I and uh, definitely other commentators have noticed that has been a real strength of IDW 
is uh, your team's ability to take licensed properties and make adaptations that, that stand right alongside the official canon content. Absolutely, that's so, our goal, 100%. What would you say is uh, the cornerstone of that? Because, you know, uh, I would say that licensed property tie-ins are not traditionally, historically, something that is usually considered that strong. Right, totally, I completely agree. Um, I think in the past, they were almost considered like advertorials, but I think what happened is, People that are actual fans kind of got into roles like mine where you could actually do the hiring and putting together stories. And really, why not put more great stuff out there? Um, and then you match that up with companies like IDW that have wonderful relationships with CBS and Paramount. Um, and with those powers combined, um, you can really make some excellent, excellent work and put it out there into the world. That's very cool. What about some of the partnerships um, like on things like the uh, tie-ins to the J.J. Uh, Verse, the mm -hmm. Kelvin Timeline movies, where folks like uh, Roberto Orsi mm -hmm. are involved in the story creation. How does that work? So, uh, long story short on that one, uh, my J.J. Kelvin writer is Mike Johnson, and he used to work at Kurtzman Orsi, which is um, oh. Orsi's production company. Um, and they actually worked very closely together on the first Countdown book. So uh, Bob Orsi has kind of been the, the godfather of the J.J. Kelvin Trek line with us. Um, and of course, everything goes through the official channels of CBS and Paramount, but having his support has been invaluable. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially since a lot of our uh, listeners are also involved with Star Trek Online, that um, the Star Trek Online universe has even taken a lot of elements from the comics and run with it. That's which awesome. Is not something I've really seen before. Yeah. I think Countdown is really when I first got clued into the Star Trek line, and uh, but you guys have done great things with that. And I know um, you recently announced that the ongoing series is coming to an end, and you're starting a new series. Right, right, that's correct. So it's it's not a reboot. Everybody hates a reboot. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of a refreshing of the line uh, to reflect a post-beyond reality. So Star Trek Boldly Go is the name of our new ongoing series, and that starts in October. How would you compare that to the ongoing line? More brand new story arcs or...? Uh, I think we're going to pretty much continue with brand new story arcs. The, the ongoing series has done... Um, they're not really adaptations. They're more like reinterpretations of classic stories in the JJ-verse lens. And I'm not saying that won't happen again, but man, there's just so much... I don't want to spoil anybody who hasn't seen the movie, but there's just so much to work with post-beyond. Um, and honestly, comics do not last 60 issues these days anymore. And that's a real testament to the wonderful fan base that we have. So we're hoping that Boldly Go number one, um, maybe folks that aren't you know, so hardcore into Trek like we are, maybe they just saw the film and they go to the comic book store and they see that and that gets them on board. That's our hope. I'm curious, do you have any um, relationship or, or interaction with... Uh, the folks working on the movie such that things that happen in the comic storylines aren't directly contradicted or do you just try right. to work in those spaces that are unlikely to be touched anyway? So I think technically we are canon. The way that can kind of get tricky is the timing. So you know a movie will be worked on, they might have a script nine months ago but who knows what will actually show up in the shooting script and who knows what will actually show up in the actual film. Well, we in the comic books world are working our butts off 
Um, you know, right now we're working on comics that are going to be out in um, October and November. So we want to make sure that our comics are relevant and have uh, impact and have things that matter going on. But we have to be incredibly aware that we cannot step on the toes of anything that might be in a movie or a TV show. Right, right. I had a couple of listener questions. One was, uh, do you, and I don't know if you can talk about this or not, but do you anticipate or, or already have anything in the works having to do with the new TV series? Uh, if it's up to me, yes, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we hope so. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, another thing, since you're working so much in Star Trek, which, and, and not just Star Trek, but you have some huge fandoms tied to oh, yes. properties that you have with IDW. Have you guys ever considered any kind of, like, a... Talent search or like contest for original content or anything like that? I like that idea a lot. Um, it works a little bit better probably for writers than for, for artists. And the only reason that is is um, you might be an incredibly talented artist, but to have the ability to produce at that high level of quality day by day by day doing over a page a day is very hard and very demanding. And it is... It's great to use new talent, but it's also an incredibly scary thing when you know when your deadline is. So yeah, that's something I would totally consider, maybe for um, a cover art competition or something like that. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. yeah, I know I couldn't do it. That's why I do reviews. The, the artists and the writers that we work with are some of the best in the business. They're incredibly hardworking and wonderful. So um, I focused on the ongoing series and uh, Boldly Go, but I uh, am also very intrigued by Waypoint. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Waypoint is our new anthology book. And Waypoint is kind of my answer uh, to people who are always coming up to me and asking why there isn't a TNG ongoing or a Voyager or an Enterprise. Um, and frankly, we would need to figure out how to clone myself uh, to do all those. <laughs> so Waypoint will be a book um, with stories from all iterations of Trek, except for JJ, um, simply because it's already so well represented. Um, including gold key or animated, like anything. Short stories, at least one or two per issue, um, done by talent that maybe they don't have time to do a full series for me, but we can get them for 10 or 20 pages. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that yeah, myself. It's, it's a lot of fun. I know we have a lot of prime timeline folks who are very interested, and I know for me, the ongoing has really expanded the, the Kelvin timeline and and given it more of that weight yeah. you know instead of just two and now three movies right. we have well, six, almost 60 issues of comics that's on the top wonderful of that. things about comics is um, you're able to do deeper dives into storylines you're able to take characters like um, oh my god I forgot his name 0781 or is it 0718 0718 yeah there you we got go. it uh, and we did an origin story for oh that's him. one of my favorite yeah, issues it's so great Absolutely. and, and uh, it, that's the kind of stuff that I love to do and you just can't do that in comics and you can't do mashups in comic or in TV or films like Star Trek and Lantern. Like that's just never going to happen. Um, and so that's the beauty of comics. Yeah, the uh, the unlimited budget, un yep. unlimited visual effects budget is, is a very nice Absolutely. aspect of that too. Yeah. Um, the City on the Edge of Forever adaptation of the original teleplay was amazing for that. And you can see where some of those things for various reasons and various aspects might not have been even possible back then oh, yeah, on, the, yeah. on the series. So that was uh, Harlan's original script that he wanted to shoot, but they did not allow him to shoot. So over many years of hard work, we finally got that to happen. Um, and that's illustrated beautifully by J.K. Woodward, who's actually here at the convention this week. 
Yeah, the art in that, and the art in the zero seven one eight issue is also one of my favorites. Yeah, just yeah, gorgeous. I love that one too. Gorgeous. Yeah, thank you. Every every panel in that you could just about frame. Yeah, that's the goal. Let's um, let's talk about uh, new visions. You have more new visions coming soon, right? More new visions. Uh, Mr. Byrne will keep doing that as long as we uh, ask him to. So, uh, <laughs> what those are is. Um, so basically, they're kind of like photo manipulations. So he might take the face from one scene and the body from another scene or even the mouth from one scene. And he takes these existing screenshots and manipulates them into entirely new stories. Um, so they're kind of like the old screen grab books of yore, except with this new twist, this new storylines. Uh, and they're a lot of fun. And I'm hearing so much great feedback from the Trek fans here that, oh, I don't even read comics, but I love these. And that's what I love to hear, because I bet you they'll start reading more comics after. Yeah, definitely. Uh-oh, it's a gateway. Watch yep. out. Ha-ha-ha. <laughs> Luring us in. That's right. With, with John Byrne and original series that's right. uh, imagery. That's right. That's fantastic. So let's see. I always like to open it up. Is there anything that you are just burning to tell yeah. fans about that I haven't thought of or that Star I haven't Trek, asked Starfleet about? Starfleet Academy is a book that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's my attempt at doing a YA book in the Star Trek universe, because I always wanted to be in Starfleet Academy. So this is a story, uh, it's Kelvin timeline, of Kirk and Uhura immediately before the 2009 film when they're still in Starfleet. And then it kind of intercuts with an entirely new crew of cadets because I love stories of people that you know are going to be like really brilliant leaders and heroic types, but they're not there yet. And so it's kind of some trial by fire, um, some tests that they're being put through to see what they're really made of. Um, and that's done uh, by Mike Johnson and Ryan Parrott writing with uh, art by Derek Charm that's more of kind of like a fun animated style. Um, so I also think that's really great for younger people in your life, whether you're a parent or a librarian or whatever. It's something that you can give to a younger person in their life to hopefully get them hooked on track. Oh, that's very cool. And I had another question that I just blanked on because I was listening to you too closely. That's all right. You'll think of it. <laughs> yes. Uh, gosh. Oh, I wanted to ask you, you, you fairly recently stepped into the role of group editor, yes. right? Yes. So you're now involved with a number of other uh, Hasbro properties as well. Yes. What are some of the other hot projects you're working so on? So I'm taking over Transformers. Uh, I've already started working on the Gem line, which I really am excited about. Right now, it's uh, a big crossover with Transformers and G.I. Joe and ROM and Micronauts. Um, oh, called, wow, ROM uh, and Micronauts. Yeah. That's taking me back. Right? That's very exciting. So it's basically like taking all these characters, throwing them in one big sandbox and putting them in some ridiculous action-packed like, scenarios to see what happens. So. Oh, so ROM was ROM was licensed to Marvel from Hasbro originally? because wasn't it? It's a really complicated story. Oh, okay. Well, we don't but need to... Long story short, anything that's on the toy box... Is Hasbro. Oh, I see, I see. Yes. Okay, I, yes. I understand. Yes. And uh, I will I will give a shout out. I have seen some really amazing feedback about Gem and the Hologram. Some of our listeners may not be, you know, the prime so demographic good. for the Gem and the, Gem and the Holograms uh, comic, but it is one of the best things out there right now. IDW, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a Marvel and DC fan from way back, but... It's very hit or miss what's going on in the comics right now, in my opinion. You guys are just 
firing on all thrusters, full impulse speed on things that I think the average comic fan might overlook and Absolutely. wrongly so. There's a wrongly lot of so. stuff out there in the marketplace right now. So anytime somebody gives us a try, I really want to make sure that it's it's worthy of their time and money. So thank you for saying that. Oh no, I, I totally agree. And uh, if I if I had unlimited uh, time and we had just a comics podcast, I would I would really branch out. But no I, I certainly uh, appreciate you absolutely. taking some time out of your busy con schedule yeah, to uh, talk comics with us, and uh, we'll keep plugging away at uh, ongoing and look forward to boldly go. Thank you guys, I appreciate it. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Our first community question was all about TV shows that could have been. Have you heard of a concept for a series that didn't make io9's list? Neon Phase wrote on PriorityOnePodcast.com, So at one point in time, I heard of a Star Trek series that was supposed to happen called Star Trek Starfleet Academy. I was not overly thrilled with the thought of having a grounded series but then again, I did really enjoy Deep Space Nine, and that was close to that, besides the fact the station being in space. Can I just say, I have always kind of really wanted, nobody laugh. I would if you love- say 90210 Starfleet, I'm going to be really mad. Or NCIS yeah, like, Starfleet. Like oh, something on the CW. No. Like, oh, oh I know, it's so, look, I know, but I love those kind of shows. Uh, I, I am shallow, it's fine. Um, but I absolutely love those kind of shows, the kind of like teenage drama and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I would have I loved know. to see a Star Trek show like that. I know, I the know OC the fans would have hated it. I but really, I really should have screened your application. <laughs> a little hard. Just a oh, I'm oh, sorry. Just spent a little more time asking you some questions. But I no, but seriously, now hear me out, okay? So there's a little bit of the whole teenage drama and relationships and all of that other kind of stuff going on. But instead of like rich kids playing around on the beach, it's actual really smart kids at a high performing, you know, uh, pseudo military academy. I think it would be oh. so cool. Oh, That's- my God, Stacy, did you hear Chris made Red Squad? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Basically, that is it. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. All right, look, the only way that I could I would I would approve of that if it w- was more like um Halo Forward onto Dawn. It's on Netflix. Check it out. Okay. I'll right. I'll, which I'll was, check it out. Thank you. Which was it was about the cadets going through you know, their academy and then all of a sudden they get attacked by something. What about Ender's game? So, I didn't I don't know Ender's game. No, oh, what? Ender's We're going to have to talk about that, yeah. Elijah, because Ender's Game is a sci-fi classic. Mm-hmm. Read the book, and then actually the film is not the bad. The film is not yeah. bad for the book. Movie but Ender's brilliant. Game is, yeah, it's very good. Harrison Ford and that kid that I can't remember his name. Oh, maybe I do know, uh, but uh, okay, I have to watch it. Though. It's okay. a, And it's, it is an absolute classic. I can't believe, I, I should have screened my application for whether you knew oh, about Ender's no, Game. No, I'm sorry, no, no. <laughs> No. Kenna, you cannot go there with the amount of things. Oh, no, just. <sighs> yes. I'm starting to think I should have screened some applications at one point. Mm. Oh. No. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait. Voids. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> yeah, moving on. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> 
Our second community question was, what does looking at race cars and Lamborghinis from the 70s mean for the feel of Star Trek Discovery? How might this impact the overall aesthetics of the show? Our last community question from Star Trek Online News was, will you be going for the new Tier 6 Constitution class? Or have you already got one? What do you think of the ship and the promotion overall? James Sillett wrote on Facebook, Went for the Connie, but came out with the vengeance. Could have been a worse outcome. And STO Player one wrote on our website, I own the new Tier 6 Connie, and I have a few different thoughts. A. As far as the actual ship itself, it's pretty epic. It flies like an escort and feels almost overpowered. It's a really fun ship to play. B. As far as the method of acquiring the ship, I feel like Cryptic has crossed the line and now only cares about money. They go on to say, I bought and sold R&D packs until I had enough EC to buy it from someone. It's an interesting approach. Yeah. I've seen it a couple of places, actually. People saying that it makes... Basically, if you just buy and sell R&D packs, they're so expensive at the moment that you can make... You can pretty much buy any ship you want for not very much then. It's It's an interesting theory. Regulus FF7 also commented, Tier 6 Connie, not really interested, but I can imagine people get really upset about it being a gamble or an impossible paywall. You see, I kind of want it just for, to say I have it, right? Because it's, it's a Connie, right? Yeah. It's a Tier 6 Connie. Yeah. So I, I want it for more of the novelty. I, I probably wouldn't fly it, but mm, yeah, it's, like, it's like collecting my ships. Mm-hmm. And that's what I liked to do in Star Trek Online uh, when I could afford it. So... I'll yeah, admit, I, 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 I like the novelty of it. I'll admit, I'm still yet to fly mine. And I think, Elijah, I think there are a lot of people that, had it been available in the Zen store, would have been absolutely with you. Oh, yeah. And probably would have just said, oh, right, I'll pay my yeah. 30 pounds or whatever it is to get to get it, and I can have it, and it's there. And finally, Sean Newboy commented in prior to on podcast.com. Those bloopers were probably the best ever. That makes the final edit that much more enjoyable. Thanks. And I just want to interject here. I um, I cannot thank enough our audio team because... They're an amazing audio team. They are amazing audio team because last week was a bit of a struggle and you guys made it sound slick. So thank you very much to everybody. Um, we couldn't do it without you. High fives all round. Captains, remember that we asked you to send us your Star Trek story so that we can highlight it on our show? Well, we have our first story from John, a.k.a. Neon Phase, who told us about his Star Trek story. Back in 1996, I was already a fan of Star Trek Next Gen and DS9. I had two high school friends that were even more into Trek than I could have imagined. They introduced me to the local Star Trek fan club that they were in, and was officially chartered by Starfleet. Our charter was in Region 7, and we were called the 7th Fleet. Our region was the DC and surrounding Tri-State area. Looking at the charters now, I see that the chapter that I was in is no longer there or active. But just to understand how the chapters are set up, your local club is considered a ship, with all of the command crew positions taking up a normal club position, i.e. Captain equals President, First Officer equals VP or XO, Operations equals Treasurer, and so on. So our ship was called the USS Highlander, NCC 10530. We were an Ambassador-class heavy cruiser and second to the Region 7 Fleet Flagship. With this group, I did multiple community activities and attended and worked at multiple Star Trek conventions, as well as promotional duties, like when First Contact came out. 
I left the club in 2000 when I moved away from the area, but ever since then, even though I am no longer associated with the fan club, I have always been a fan that is obsessed with Star Trek, starships, and starship design. Thank you for reading through how I ended up in the deep end with all of you. I actually wanted to join my local chapter of Starfleet International. Um, I had looked into it. I even reached out to one of them. Um, I wonder if they're more active nowadays, though. Because, I, I, I don't know, I looked into it six, seven years ago. You know, this was still... It was still the lull of Star Trek. Um, the most that was happening was Star Trek Online. And um, not not to downplay Star Trek Online. Star Trek Online was a big deal. But I wanted, like, local people to play with. I was thinking about the Guild, the show, the web series, the Guild. And I'm like, man, I'd love to have, you know, local friends that, that we can all maybe do, like, a little LAN party, so to speak, uh, and play Star Trek Online together. Uh, but they weren't, at, they weren't very active. So, um, yeah, I should follow up. Yeah, that's actually a really good question. If any of our listeners are active in a local, um, I don't know what it's called, a charter, a local charter, we would actually really love to hear from you and what your experiences are like. And if you can recommend any of your local chapters, I'd, I would find that really interesting. So uh, you can write into us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com and we'd love to hear from you. And speaking about writing into incoming at priorityonepodcast.com, we also want to hear your Trek stories. How has Trek inspired you in your life? or maybe a friend's life. Shoot us an email to incoming at priorityonepodcast.com with your story, and we will try to highlight it on our show. Well, that wraps up episode 285 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, we need to send a special thanks to our Patreon supporters like Isaiah Dorsch, Navy Boat Slew, Stephen Humphrey, Frederick Redegard, and Rarva. So here's our community question for this week. There was some big news announced for Star Trek Online over the weekend. What do you think about the console launch date or about 3D printing your own ship? Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. Hashtag Keen is Chris Keen. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. And more importantly, help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. A big thanks to our special guests this week, Jara Hodge, Denise Crosby, and Sarah Gatos. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. To our writer and social media manager, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. And to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media for supporting this show. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Esmaria DePost, and Gavin LaWarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. 
Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. So why don't you tell us what we have this week? Well, this week in <laughs> what that was that was not that was not exhausted breathing. That was something else. Yeah. No. <laughs> Yikes. Forrest Gump. E, e, e. <laughs> no. No. Nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers um, that scene. No. Oh. Oh yes, actually, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he's sitting on the porch after his mom. Yeah. 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 Got him into school. <laughs> Elijah. All right. Anyway. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open those hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Yeah. <laughs> Our first community question was no, all again, about... It it's okay, because that I really wasn't confident in you. Just... <laughs> Yikes. Elijah, it's you. The oh, is it? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. But no one answered that, so we're going to move on. Our second and last <laughs> community question. Or, okay. The Warren Blade is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> he's oh, just dear. He's just all over the place. I mean, he's on Twitter. He's in the. He's in the Hangouts. I just can't can't keep up. He's just everywhere. He's always on top of Priority One. It's <laughs> because it's two people. Two different people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tweet us via at Priority One Pod. You can Ooh, even be as keen as... Yeah. You went pod. <laughs> oh, yeah, at Priority One Pod. <laughs> Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. And thanks to our audio team. I'm reading it this way because Brandon asked for it. Led by Michael McDonald's, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, as Maria De Post, and Gavin Lewan. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Okay, I'll read it now. Can you do it straight now, please? <laughs> also, you said Michael McDonald's, and I was chuckling. Oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a Big Mac. Actually, I had a Big Mac today. I went to McDonald's for dinner. Yeah. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker. <laughs> now I'm thinking McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It's Ronald McDonald's like <laughs> dodgy little brother, always getting into trouble, sneaking off to Burger King at lunchtime. 
Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald with assistance from Brandon Parker. Did I say it? No. But I Did thought I? it in my brain. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald with assistance from Brandon Parker. Jake. Oh, God. Wow, this is like, what, four ticks? Did you hear me, though? I was like, Michael was McDonald, trying, duh. I was, I was holding my breath. <laughs> <laughs> I, I overly enunciated that D accidentally. Oh, man. Oh, it happens to me all the time, Elijah. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> She's cracked up. That's it. We're broken. <laughs> we got like oh, two man. lines left. <laughs> two, li- two lines left. <laughs> Six oh, McDonald had a podcast. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> All right, everybody hit stop. <laughs>